0: This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program.
1: It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Johnny McGonigal.
0: All right, Blue White Breakdown time. It's UMass Week, homecoming for former Penn Staters like the one and only. Johnny McGonigal, who joins me on Bob Flounders here on uh, the Blue White Breakdown. Johnny, I could I have to say, I don't know if the listeners and the viewers remember last time we were on, you were bound from Dallas, the Dallas area, to take in the Red River, Red River Classic, Texas, Oklahoma. I watched it. I watched a lot of it. Did not disappoint. Before we get to Penn State number one, great call on this year's game going this year. And I gotta know. And you know you were going to attack the fried food. Like, what? What did you? What we? What did you come away with? Most impressed with at the fair?
1: Yeah, Bob. It was. It was an incredible time, and it was one of those. It was me, my brother, my cousin, um, and uh, and this was back in the spring. I guess it was, or, or it was whenever the the schedule was really finalized for Penn State, and the bye week uh, was confirmed. We looked at the college football slate, and it's a game that we've always wanted to go to. And we said, you know, let's just let's just do it. And it was a great decision. I mean, the entire weekend down there was great. Uh, Got to the Fort Worth stockyards. Checked that out. Had never seen that before. That was really cool. The state fair was awesome. You mentioned the fried food, Bob. They had they had a fried fireball shot. You would have been living large. Oh, man. That's like literally drinking fire. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was, it was great. Um, You know, if the fried Oreos were really good, you had to have a corn dog. Uh, That's like a, that's like a delicacy at at the, at the fair. Um, And had some, had some lone stars as well, of course, great Texan lager. Um, But no, it was a great time. And we were sitting in the OU section, you know, we got end zone tickets and we didn't know which end we were going to be in Texas or Oklahoma because it's split right down the middle of the stadium. And uh, you know, Being there for that, for that ending, uh, it was an incredible game, incredible experience. Would highly recommend, you know, that the listeners who are surely diehard college football fans, as well as just Penn State fans, uh, it's an experience unlike any other. So highly, highly recommend. Yeah, and Johnny, let's let's draw Penn State
0: into this angle for everyone that's watching and listening you have it you have an AP ballot you you've seen a lot of the lions you got a, you got an up close look at OU and Texas two extremely talented teams. game went down to the wire. Uh, in your mind, is Penn State able to hang with both these teams on a neutral field?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Penn State has the talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, on my AP ballot this week, I had Georgia one, Florida State two, Michigan three, Oklahoma four making that jump after beating Texas, uh, Ohio State five and Penn State six. And really, those top six, along with Washington and Oregon, I think just those are teams that could easily contend for College Football playoff spots. And and you know, Penn State and and those teams all want to contend for a national title. And I think uh, Penn State has the talent um, that's that's you know kind of unquestioned. We've talked all all season, all offseason about what they've got on both sides of the ball, Bob. And I think that certainly you know they have what it takes to get to that first College Football playoff, but. That's going to come down to uh, first of all beating UMass uh, and taking care of business, staying healthy uh, first and foremost in that game, uh, and then Ohio State next week. So I think we'll really know what the Nittany Lions have next week at Ohio State, and then when Michigan visits in November. But yeah, um, it was a great game between you know two great teams over this past weekend, and I've watched a lot of ball uh, you know across the country. Uh, but Penn State definitely has definitely has what it takes uh, to contend with those kind of teams. Penn State currently just a slight favorite over UMass. the line is
0: 42, I believe. I think the total is 57. Uh James Franklin did go out of his way to say that UMass might be the most explosive team they have faced this year. And to be fair, Johnny, he was only half kidding because they did play Iowa, fair, fair to say, and Delaware as well. but this is this is a game. this is a tune-up game where you're right. Health is important. James didn't offer any updates really about J.B. Nelson. He was asked specifically about any other things he could share. He didn't really want to share them, but then at the end, it really sounded to me, Johnny, like Harrison Wallace, Trey Wallace, is going to be as close to a hundred percent as we take this, as close to a hundred percent as he's been maybe since the start of the season. And he talked really about you look at you look at the passing game. It's it's easy to forget that. You know, the first two games of the season, he was a, he was a, an important part of the passing game. And I do think that Drew Aller has missed him. There's other issues in, in play when it comes, comes to the passing game. But if he's healthy and he can go, you know, and he can kind of get his feet wet against UMass before the Ohio State game. I think that's something I think the fan base should watch for.
1: Yeah. And even going back to the Illinois game when he didn't play, you know, it was questionable travel with the team, warmed up. You know, there. it feels like over the last couple of weeks, they, if he really needed them, uh, he might have been able to go. Pretty sure he, he played a few snaps in the Iowa game. I, I might be mistaken on that, but he did. Um, so, look, once he's back and fully healthy, you know, he brings a lot. To this offense, we saw last year at Michigan a game to forget for Penn State, but you know he made a a play to remember. You know downfield uh, catch, you know from Sean Clifford. He brings that kind of talent um, and that kind of ability in the downfield passing game, an area that Penn State has sorely lacked uh, this season. Is taking those shots when they are available, if they are available, and when you've got Harrison Wallace, you know if you've got him one on one with a corner, you like your chances, and so. I think he brings a lot from that aspect, uh, from a reliability and rapport uh, standpoint with Drew Aller. We saw it in week one, uh, eight targets, uh, seven catches for Harrison Wallace. And so once they get him back, uh, I think it just opens up this passing game a bit more. Uh, it, you know, it's a passing game going to light the world on fire when he's back. We'll see, yeah, I still think this the identity of this offense right now is a grinded out team that relies on its running game take take what the defense gives you, and you know try and create things after the catch, especially with Keandre Lambert Smith, but Harrison Wallace definitely adds a lot um you know uh, multiple facets uh, to this offense. Johnny, let's get to uh let's get to your question for James
0: for a number of reasons we you and I really haven't had a chance talk to talk about the big Ten schedule release. Uh, Last Thursday, um, you were—I think you either were en route to Texas or you had just touched down in Texas. They released the home and away Big Ten schedules uh, for 2024 through 2028. No, no dates, but just just the schedules. You know, and looking at what Penn State's facing the next couple of years, you could make a strong case that maybe you know with the way that with the way that the Big Ten is going to be constituted. I don't know. I, I would. I I think I understand why James Franklin said there's really not a need to go out and look for a marquee non-conference game. You know, Johnny, uh, Penn State next year is going to host Illinois, Maryland, Ohio State, UCLA and Washington, and they go to Minnesota, Purdue, USC and Wisconsin. Now, you know, a couple of those games maybe not, don't stand out, but you get Ohio State, Washington coming to Beaver Stadium, along with UCLA. I think that's going to pique the fans' interest. you got to go to USC and Wisconsin. Who knows what Purdue's going to look like uh, next year? But there's some really difficult games on that schedule. You asked James maybe about, you know, the future of non-conference games and scheduling and kind of what kind of what maybe – uh the approach should be or what his approach is going to be. <laughs> and he referenced a couple of schools in the big 10 and about what they're doing. And so there's some pretty big name schools. I think people figured that out. And I think some Michigan fans were a little bit feisty over that. Why don't you just explain kind of what what into your question, how you interpreted James's answer.
1: Yeah. So I, I kind of went back, I'm sitting there 15 minutes before the presser starts and I got, I got a question over zoom and I'm like, you know, I'm going to ask him about the non-conference slate because You've got UMass upcoming this weekend, a, a team that they're paying 1.6 million dollars to bring in uh, to play and basically to ensure a win and get younger guys' experience, and then that that's common practice across college football. But you know there have been some questions, whether it was from Penn State fans or elsewhere. You know why are you scheduling Delaware and UMass and not you know insert Power Five team here? And James said after the Delaware game. Uh, that he felt that you know there was pretty strong data to suggest that scheduling like Penn State is scheduling in the non-conference you know helps with your odds to make the college football playoff the the, the idea is to be undefeated or to have one loss and to put yourself in contention especially with that four-team playoff which is you know what's been eluding this program now uh, since they instituted it so I asked James you know hey like you know, do you see your approach to non-conference scheduling in the future changing or staying the same based on a 12-team playoff that's going to be introduced? Because uh, you know, when when it was introduced, you, know, you saw on both sides of of the coin, both sides of the ball, if you will, that there were some coaches and ADs that were saying, you know, hey, you know, going to keep the scheduling the same, et cetera. You had some coaches saying, you know, this will, this is a 12-team playoff will open things up to more intriguing non-conference matchups because there isn't as much pressure to go undefeated or take a one loss. And, you know, James's response was basically, well, we're going to keep it the same. Uh, you know, he doesn't see that changing uh, because, you know, they're still keeping the same mindset that let's not risk a loss in the non-conference. And, and especially like you mentioned, Bob, the schedule uh, in the Big Ten, it's going to be difficult year in, year out with the additions of USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon and James referenced that he also referenced, like you mentioned, uh, a couple of unnamed Big Ten teams. <laughs> uh, you know, he said there's he said there's one team in this conference specifically that's buying out a ton of game contracts that are already uh, you know signed, basically to go in the opposite direction of scheduling tough in the non conference. And a lot of Michigan fans took that to be in reference to the Wolverines, which you know a few years ago. Uh, they backed out of a home and home. I believe it was with UCLA to schedule Hawaii and East Carolina. Also, Ohio State did this recently. Ohio State also pulled the plug on a home and home with Washington before Washington was added uh, to the Big Ten. Uh, basically, along the same lines, like they they paid a five hundred thousand dollar penalty to back out of that contract, basically with the idea that you know let's let's make this non conference a little easier on ourselves with a tough Big Ten upcoming. So. Uh, yeah, he referenced that. And uh, look, I don't blame him. I, I don't know how you feel, Bob. Like, I, I don't, I really don't blame Franklin, you know, Pat Craft, the, the AD, the, the school to, to take this approach uh, because you're facing USC, UCLA, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, Oregon, Oregon, yeah. Oregon Washington. Like, the Big Ten is going to be so difficult um, over the next few years. And I know that the non conference is pretty locked in right now for Penn State, you know, through almost 2028, which doesn't feel like a real year at this point, Bob. Yeah, you know, I don't know about <laughs> you. Yeah, you know, they've got Temple and Syracuse, you know, Ball State, you know, Delaware again, Villanova again. Um, so I don't see that changing anytime soon, but I'm curious how, how you kind of feel about it. You know, this is there's no more divisions, right? It's just going to go down to the top two. You know, the top two teams
0: are going to play in the Big Ten title game. I can't wait to see what the tiebreakers are, but I'm sure they're going to have to keep them very vanilla, I would think. I don't know how with this many teams you could you could do it any other way. But you look at the four teams that are that that came in from the West. I mean, you look at you look at the Pac-12 teams. I I'm still trying to figure out about UCLA and maybe what their future is really about. But the other three teams. Good coaching staffs, good player development, you know, great NIL programs, you know, and they are all going to be in the top 20 hunt and a couple in the top 10 hunt. I think just about every season, Penn State, Ohio State. I mean, those those are just six. If Wisconsin ever gets its act together, they could be a seventh. Uh, I'm a Nebraska fan. I don't I don't have any hope for them. But I mean, if you're if you're in a division where are in a conference where legitimately six or seven teams have the talent to maybe get into the playoff and these games are gonna be decided by, you know, one possession games, you're really taking a pretty significant risk playing a team that could upset you in the non-conference schedule. and I just think that I think it's smart. This is a this is a Penn State program that has not been to a playoff yet. I, I think that Penn I think Penn State fans will come around to this once they really take a look at what Penn State's gonna be up against on a yearly basis. It's going to be some deep water. It's, I mean, it's, it's going to be – it really doesn't matter if you have a slight talent edge over most of the teams in the Big Ten. If you run into enough teams, like three or f- three, three really good teams in four weeks, you're probably going to lose at least one of those games just because either you're going to go on the road or it's just not, it's just not going to be in the cards. I think it's the right approach. I understand why teams are doing it. And what is the upside? What would the upside be? To adding an eighth team on your schedule
1: that could possibly beat you, yeah, that that's that's where I'm at. It, it's you know, you you hear you know some, or read on Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it now. Um, you know that there's fan you know fans from other teams in other conferences calling the calling that approach that Franklin and Penn State are taking cowardly or whatever. Uh, you know those teams in other conferences. You know unless you're in the SEC, you know you don't have to face. You, like you mentioned, potentially a USC, Ohio State, Michigan, three games in a five game span in, in the coming seasons. I mean, it's going to be that trying. And then the other end of this, too, that I think is getting a little overlooked is the travel aspect of it. Because, you know, I, I go back to the home and home that Penn State had with Auburn and last season, you know, standing underneath. The stands at Jordan-Hare Stadium, the last question to James Franklin, I got into him, was, hey, do you foresee this happening again? Because you know Penn State fans really enjoyed uh, their time down at Auburn, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he quickly said no. And I just said, why? And he said, well, you know, <laughs> X, Y, Z. And the biggest thing was there was a lot of travel – you know, concerns, a lot of hurdles that they had to maneuver to get to the, the Auburn game and, and to figure all that out. And now you've got, you know, flying out to L.A. and and the logistical problems potentially with, with all of that, you know, scheduling a home-and-home home with a non-regional team. I mean, say what you will, maybe about them scheduling West Virginia again or, you know, Pitt, you know, getting Pitt back on the schedule. But if you're going to do a, a a Power 5 uh, big travel you know kind of deal I, I mean you're just adding to the stress and the pressure that you're putting on these players that are already going to be going through a lot you know planning and, and not in and you, and your uh, your AD and your athletic department there's a lot that goes into all this and so I don't view it as cowardly I view it as smart uh, for a team that wants to contend for a national title uh, and wants to obviously get into that playoff and yeah, I think it's just—I think it just makes sense. Even though you know there are going to be fans both outside Penn State and within the Penn State fan base that wants to see more Power Five non-conference games, I just don't think you're going to get them.
0: Yeah, and if there's any old, old school, old, older uh, Penn State fans that really have a problem with this, just look at what Penn State did before they got in the Big Ten, especially in the '70s. Uh, not so much in the early '80s; they played some pretty good teams, but in the '70s. A lot of the 70s, they didn't really the, – the schedule was was not very challenging. They were independent, and you looked at that schedule. They played a lot of the service academies. I mean, they would have, occasionally have to have a, one or two games on the schedule. They also played Pitt, but it was not a schedule that really got them a lot of national acclaim. I think now the acclaim is built into the Big Ten schedule. Like, they don't need what, – like what else do they have to do? They have to survive this. I mean, if you're going to play – I know they don't play Michigan and Ohio State every year, but if you play either Michigan or Ohio State every year, USC or Washington or every you know what I mean? You get there, it's like four bowl games built into the regular season with the travel. If you're going out west or they're coming here. Um, and and to really to, to expect to win three out of those four games, if you don't win three out of those four games, you might not make the playoff. I just think that the stakes are pretty high, the money's pretty high, all of all there's a lot, there's a lot on the line and to to get tripped up on a non-conference game that you really didn't need to schedule when your schedule is tough enough, uh, I just think that if you really just wait to see this thing start to play out, you're going to realize. Like I think Penn State and Franklin took this approach.
1: Yeah, and on the other end of this too, I mentioned UMass getting paid one point six million dollars to come to Beaver Stadium this week to play this game. Like for those programs that are ostensibly getting left behind by you know conference realignment and and all that. Uh, the existence of those games are huge for their programs, just to keep playing football and not only football but other sports as well. I mean, I remember when I was working at the Post Gazette and I did a big story on you know the disappearance of the bye game, which or the guarantee game, whatever you want to call it, uh, during the COVID season. You know, Duquesne was scheduled to play games and Robert Morris and New Hampshire and all these different kind of schools, Villanova. And they really were some of those schools really hurting during COVID by not having those games. And so I think in terms of the college football ecosystem, which if you want to roll your eyes at that with all the realignment, that's fair. Go ahead. But I think it's big for those schools and it's big for Penn State to have a guaranteed win on the schedule and and to get your freshmen and your younger players a lot of run. I mean, look, look at how it's shaping up this week, right before uh, one of the two biggest games of the season, against Ohio State you've got an opportunity against UMass. Hey, go out, get your feet wet. You know, Drew Aller, play it, play a half, stay healthy, uh, knock off any rust that you accumulated over the bye week, uh, and then get, you know, Drew, uh, get Bo Perboula in there, get Jackson Smolik in for a series if you can, if you want to. So I think th- those games can be big developmentally for the freshman that you're going to be relying on two, three years down the road. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just think there's there's benefits to this that are getting overlooked. Everyone wants to see like the Ohio State Notre Dame game this year and, and those kind of games like I get it. LSU Florida State Week One, I get it. But you're gonna be getting that a lot in Big Ten play.
0: This is the blue-white breakdown. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is the deal. Each week, your heroes in conversation with business icons. Johnny one thing I want vi- re- I want to visit with you on on this is because it's it's starting to become clear to me I got a chance to watch the Ohio State Maryland game from beginning to end. I'm very much aware of what Michigan brings to the table in terms of uh line of scrimmage domination, running game, you know, well coached, tough matchup. I know they got to come to Beaver Stadium, but they have been trampling some teams in the Big 10. I know they're not great teams, but to do what they did is impressive. Ohio State's defense is probably the best thing about Ohio State this year so far. Marvin Harrison was spectacular, and they needed him to be spectacular to beat Maryland. And Maryland's quarterback, uh, Talia, uh, I don't know that he lost him the game, but he—he he, they had them in trouble. Um, but it was really Ohio State's defense that really might have snatched, you know, um, snatched, snatched victory from defeat. They were in trouble. My question to you is, I think if you're Penn State and you're the Penn State fan base, be careful what you wish for if you're demanding to see more explosive plays. Because with that comes the, – the, the more you go hunting for them against some good defenses, there's some bad things that can happen. you got to wait a little bit longer. Maybe Drew gets hit. The secondaries are good. And it's true they only have 12 plays of 20 or more yards, and not all of those are pass plays. But, Johnny – You look at what they've been able to do, and you look at what they're going to have to do to beat Ohio State and Michigan. They are averaging 36 minutes time of possession. They've been very good on third down and especially fourth down and effectively shortening the game. And the game's already shorter because of the running clock. Um, The defense is forcing three and outs. They're not allowing a lot of third down completions. I think they've only allowed 58 first downs all year. They've been elite in the second half when their depth takes over. I'm not so sure, especially when you talk about those two games, that that might be the way to go because it's going to be both games are going to be defensive oriented. And if Penn State's got the better defense, I don't know that you want to really uh, throw caution to the wind against either one of those two teams. They might have the formula to beat Ohio State and Michigan right now. And it's I don't know. I'm going to say it's hiding in plain sight, but I don't know how big of a component hunting for big, uh, big plays against these two defenses should
1: be. Yeah, you, you don't want to try it just to try it. Like this is not this isn't Madden. Uh, we you shouldn't want Drew Aller to go out there and just say screw it and throw it deep just to throw it deep. Uh, if it's there, then yeah, can and you know give it a chance and connect on it. Which again, we haven't really seen so far. I mean, we saw it you know the, the Keandre play uh, against West Virginia, but I, I do think you are going to need one or two of those plays if you want to go, especially if you want to go two and zero against those two teams. I think you're going to need to hit on one or two, but at the same time, I agree with what you said. With you know the way that they're playing, you know, controlling the clock, controlling the ball, you know, being really good on third and fourth down, being really, really good in the red zone. I mean, they've been capitalizing like crazy, scoring touchdowns in the red zone this year. And then one thing that, that it's one of those that, that James Franklin mentions a lot, but I, again, I don't think it gets enough pub publicity. Or you know, the fact that Drew Aller hasn't turned the ball over. And he does not have an interception. He he has not been strip sacked yet. And that's on the offensive line, providing protection, Uh, his poise and composure in and out of the pocket. We saw against West Virginia, he makes some really good throws on the run and he's throwing it away when he needs to. He's checking down when he needs to. And when you're on the road at Ohio state, what you really can't afford is a backbreaking turnover. You just, you can't afford that. We saw in the Ohio state game last year, uh, that turnovers killed Penn state in that game. And so, you can't afford that. You just can't do it. And when you've got Nick Singleton, and if Catron Allen is back healthy, and you got a running game uh, that can grind it out, and a defense that, as much as we talk about Penn State's offense needing to generate plays and stuff, you know, we know that Marvin Harrison Junior. is one of the, is arguably the best player in the country. Emeka Ibuka is one of the best receivers in the country. But you know, Kyle McCord, I don't know. I, I haven't watched every minute of Ohio State play this year, but I haven't been crazily impressed by him aside from really the, the final drive against Notre Dame was really impressive, but you've got a standout defense in Penn state that, you know, Marvin Harrison jr is going to have to have a great game, you know, in order to beat Kalen King and Johnny Dixon and the guys that Penn state has in this secondary. So, you know, and it's one of those where, you know, Ohio state's at home too. So Penn state can kind of go in there and just play aggressive, play disruptive and uh, try to play with your hair on fire and see what happens. And so, uh, I do like what this Penn state team has done so far. Uh, I think it needs to be a little bit better in the downfield passing game, but I mean, I, I think yeah. that'll, yeah.
0: And I do, I do want to say that they do need, because they can't afford to, they can't let what happened to them in Michigan last year, where they, the offense just was really never got going and it was too late. And actually Michigan just kept the ball on them, but that can't be the recipe. They're going to have to play complementary football. They're going to, they're going to have to have sustained drives. They're they're going to have to get into the red zone, a couple of times and convert some touchdowns they can't go up 30 minutes without scoring but i guess what i would say is the what from what i've seen i don't i don't care if it's in columbus or ann arbor but if this defense has a lead going into the fourth quarter i think if you're penn state and you're penn state's fan base i think you're going to like your chances they just have to get johnny to that point where they could put the game in the hands of their defense everyone everyone talks about the 2005 Penn State team, when they played that great game uh, in the whiteout against Ohio State and they won 17-10, you know, they got the lead in the fourth quarter against a really dynamic Penn, uh, Ohio State offense. And the uh, Penn State defense really took, the, took over the game. That's what, that's what they need. They were able to do that in 2016 with the help of their special teams. Once they got a lead in the fourth quarter, they were able to close it out. I know they couldn't do it in 2017, but that defense... Is not even in, remotely in the conversation with with the defense they have now. I just think, I think that's where they got to get, and maybe it'll take a chunk player or two to do it, Johnny. But what they're doing right now isn't really. Uh, I, I think it's actually it is helping the defense in a lot of different ways, and I do think they don't have far to go to get to the formula to beat either one of these teams.
1: Yeah, I agree. And just to kind of put a bow on that, we talked about. How Penn State has held the ball, time of possession, been able to control the clock and control the games that they've played so far. That does help the defense a lot in keeping them on the sideline, keeping them fresh. Penn State wants to have a long season, and you know if, if you're racking up snap defensive snaps against Iowa and Northwestern and Illinois, you know those build up, those add up, and so. The fewer the snaps, the better defensively. That's been the case so far, uh, and then Manny Diaz right now too just has this defense has a lot of belief and is really feeding off of you know the, his image and the you know his his image for defense and, and you know his approach and what he's been preaching to them all spring, all summer, all you know all uh, August training camp, and uh, you see that right now. You do, and I think you're going to see that next weekend at Ohio State. You're definitely going to see that this weekend against UMass Bob despite how explosive the Minutemen uh may be, you know Penn State is what a 42-43 point favorite um with uh, with good reason there.
0: Yeah. All right, Johnny, we'll let you I know you got you got to get rested up from the Texas thing. You got the Phillies. I know they're on a couple times and it's a little stressful for you right now as we tape this on Tuesday. You got a lot on your plate. We'll let you go. That's it for this edition of the Blue White Breakdown. I'll be back with Dave Jones. I think a little bit later in the week, and I think Johnny and Dustin Hawkins Smith will also have a podcast. Johnny will also have any recruiting news, if there is any. But we gotta get we gotta get rested
1: up for UMass, man. Absolutely.
0: This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live.